0: everyone, this is Emma Dale, community editor for Central Michigan Life, and welcome to this edition of Past Deadline, a podcast that goes beyond the headlines and behind the scenes with our staff. Today we are discussing our latest edition, Punk Rock in Mount Pleasant. While this small rural town is identified by many college students, often as boring and having nothing to do, at one time, some of the biggest up-and-coming bands played right here in Mount Pleasant. CM Life staff reporter Andrew Mullen went digging to find sources and photos to tell the story of history of punk rock in Mount Pleasant. Thanks for being here, Andrew.
1: Oh, very, very nice to be here.
0: So, first, uh, for people who haven't read the story yet, kind of summarize what it's about.
1: Okay, so um, Real Life, it focuses on time in the 80s here in Mount Pleasant, specifically, specifically, we'll say from the year 84 to 89. Uh, essentially, a lot of more nationally recognized bands, I guess you could say, came and played here in Mount Pleasant. Uh, this included, um the Afghan Whigs. Me Puppets, um, uh, um, Dead Milkman, Fishbone, and most noticeably, probably Black Flag. They played two shows here one in 1985, one in 1986. And which is pretty crazy because, you know, they were, especially at that time, they were pretty well known, especially, you know, across the nation. And, you know, Menorans had a reputation of being this crazy dude who would just do these animalistic performances. (laughs) And so to have have him come in that, you know, tiny little bar there was just, would have been just a crazy thing for all those people. And um, again, we're talking about uh, Tom's Foolery in particular. Well, he's what it was known at the time. Nowadays, it's known as Rubbles, which... um, uh, still exists in Mount Pleasant today. I'm sure a lot of people may have seen it if they go downtown, so.
0: So, um, tell me about how you came upon this information um, and what you found when you did.
1: Well, I think it's important to say first. It wasn't me who came up with the idea of the story. Uh, Dave Clark here, you know, director of uh, student publications, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's the one who was like, hey. Uh, I see you wearing a lot of you know <laughs> you, uh, punk clothing. You know, I got the. You, everyone knows I wear like the giant, you know, the punk fest with all the patches and the studs and everything on the shoulders. He was like, you know, Black Flag played here once. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. Maybe you should do a story on that. I'm like, eh, why not? So um, the the anyway, I did my research and I came across all this information, like what bands played here, you know, where did this happen, the years and everything. Most of that was looking back through um, the catalog of Old Seam Life articles, um, usually I had the, um, was it the Clark library? Yep, Clark that's what all, cool Yeah, library. that's where it is, so I had that database, and I would literally just search black flag. I searched, you know, fish bones, the main names of reference. Then usually what I did was I went through my entire music library. I took out any bands that are vaguely punk, vaguely alternative music, and I just searched each name in that thing there, and it took me about five hours to do that. So just to get, uh, like, a good list going like, okay, these guys, play the, these guys play the year. But then I kind of went more into the Internet. I found, like, you know, old, like, uh, archives online that, you know, they mm-hmm. like, catalog, like, all the shows that happen here, or at least most of them. There are a few ex- um, exceptions that I found. But, you know, that's usually how I came across that information, just tedious research online. And eventually I came across some names. Obviously I went back to interview in the – in the um in the old articles as well as you know actually going to speak with the person who owns that uh owns rebels now and mm-hmm. getting contacts from him as well
0: yeah so I mean you talked to a lot of people for your story oh, yeah. so um what was the most interesting or surprising thing um that you learned upon um, researching and interviewing sources
1: well for me uh it's actually not even in the main story it's actually a sidebar I know we haven't of those yet, but um, so there was a band back in uh from 1978 to 1980 that um existed here in Mount Pleasant called All Night Movies. they were this kind of weird avant ah, garde rock band. Uh, the most the weirdest thing about them, the, the guy I interviewed, uh, his name is Lon Deal, I think that's how I p- pronounce his last name. I hope I'm not butchering that. Uh, he would take suitcases and he would break glass into them. And that's how he they would make music, yeah. I don't.
0: Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: was like, okay, sure, why not? Um, Yeah, he said I probably should have worn protective gear when I did that. He didn't, so. But anyways, so. Yeah, that's that's how that's how kind of weird they were. They made this just bizarre music. Uh, They performed live a couple times. I think they even before performed live at Tom's Rulery in 1980, I think. And um, they released a couple. You know, mixtapes, you know, single from here and there, and then they kind of broke up that that year, nineteen eighty. So, this seemingly kind of nothing band that you know you wouldn't think, you know, accomplished much. They actually did accomplish something very, very cool. Uh, the it's important to know at the time that obviously there was no internet, so there were these things called fanzines. They're kind of like self fan made. You know, independent magazines about you know particular pop culture things. They're very popular um, with you know underground music fans, especially since you know these this wasn't mainstream music. Obviously, with the internet, it's very hard to come across that. So these were like the main sources of finding new kinds of these music, and these would be traded off all across you know the you know the country. Uh, the guy I interviewed, Lantiel, he had his own fancy called Smarm, and I'm sure he included his band there at some point. He would send send you know samples of their music. Along with the fan scenes around the country, well, eventually this got to um, a particular fan scene in um, Seattle, known as Sub Pop, which mm-hmm. if a, any music fan knows, would later turn into uh, the very successful alternative rock uh, label that you know hosted bands like Mudhoney and Soundgarden and Nirvana and really influenced you know the grunge music that would come afterwards. So that single ended up getting, I think it was called Slaughterhouse. Yeah, it was called Slaughterhouse. Uh, ended up making it to the hands of the guy who ran Sub Pop at the time, and he put it on a compilation called Sub Pop 5 along with the fifth edition of Sub Pop. That's interesting because that was the very first Sub Pop release uh, ever, like under that label. Like, like wow. I mean, it, even though at the time it wasn't really a label, mm-hmm. yet it was just kind of fancy, but if you want to go for the very first Sub Pop release, this little band from Mount Pleasant, Michigan and ended up going making it all the way to Seattle. And got on that first release
0: Wow um so just so listeners know um, I know Rebels now um, still has bands play um, and things like that yeah so what was the transition like from um, Tom's Foolery to Rebels and how did that um, yes happen? so uh,
1: from 1985 to 1989 a guy named Harvey Veneer was the one who owned Tom's Foolery and he was the guy bringing all the big names you know Black Flag Dec Miltman such-and-such and, such and, such. and he, the, way, the way he described it to me, I don't think it went in depth in the article, but the way he put it to me was, well, you see, he wasn't booking mainstream bands. Obviously, mainstream makes money, it's underground stuff, you know, sometimes you have struggled, struggled to do that with. And that's essentially why he closed, it's like I couldn't afford it anymore. I loved what I was doing, but I simply just could not make money making un- with underground music, booking it and such. Also, I think he had mentioned something about, like, liquor license at the time, either changed in laws or, you know, changed laws in Michigan or uh, nationally. I'm not sure which one. But obviously it made him harder to sell alcohol as well, which is kind of another big uh, way he yeah. made money at the bar. So that really motivated him. It's like, you know what? I just can't do this anymore. So in 1989, he sold it to a guy named Tom Minnelli. Uh, <laughs> foolery people were not very happy about that because, A, he changed his name to Rupples. And he kind of took down all the graffiti they had on there and all the art they had written on the walls. He kind of painted it white. He kind of got, cleaned up the bathrooms. He kind of you know, changed a lot of things they didn't like. Mm-hmm. And then he started booking a lot of uh, more, I guess, cover bands, more traditional you know, rock bands and you know, southern rock bands. I think even his band, uh, Tom's band, played there for the first few years. And people were just like, what is this? A lot of people were like, "Just what is this? We yeah. don't want this. Um, so yeah, that was kind of what the transition was, uh, but eventually he did start, Tom Minnelli, he did start booking more, you know, alternative bass bands, you know, obviously he wasn't bringing in the big names like he was, like, uh, Veneer was, though. So.
0: so if, um, students or community members in Mount Pleasant now would want to go to, um, Rebels, what kind of, um, like, bands would they find there? What kind of genre?
1: Um, I, well, again, uh, it's, it's very, also very important to mention that, well, even during the time of the Foolery, it wasn't uh, exclusively a punk bar. Mm -hmm. Like hell, even Tom's Foolery had a guy named Matt Guitar Murphy, who was the guitar player for the Blues Brothers. He came in there and played, which was really cool. Um, But, you know, that that was kind of the focus for them, bringing that less mainstream music in. And again, you're not going to get any big names here even today, but um, usually you'll find a much wider range of genres, though. You'll have, you know, they'll have like acoustic nights, if I remember correctly. They'll have... Um, you know, rock bands or punk bands will have southern rock bands, and maybe even a country band from now and then. Mm-hmm. So, because that's the kind of music that, you know, Natalie Reed likes putting on.
0: Yeah. And so, um, I know you're a huge punk rock fan. Um, so, what would other major punk rock fans um, find coolest about um, this story or um, any of the interesting facts you found out?
1: Well, probably just Black Flag playing there to begin with. I mm-hmm. mean, you wouldn't, I mean, maybe. Maybe they would have thought they would have played here at the university. Although, then again, I don't know if they would. The university would have even wanted to uh, book, you know, really aggressive punk show like you know Black Black did put on. But especially they would have never thought that if, even if you've been in there, you know, that it's not a big place. I think they said the capacity. I got varying numbers for the capacity there. Mm-hmm. It, it's we're gonna say it hangs around hundred. So to have a band that of that caliber playing in a small bar. Probably would blow anyone's mind, and you know, especially with you know, you know, punk concerts. You want to have that intimate intimacy in there. You want to be up close. You want to get Henry Rollins sweat on your face. Mm -hmm. That's what you want Mm -hmm. happening, especially with like that foot high stage they have. You know, you know, enough room to still dance around to have bosh bits, but you certainly still want to you know be up close as well. That was kind of one of the things that punk championed. You know, back in its heyday.
0: Yeah. Um, and so you said it took a lot of time, um, to gather all this information, mm-hmm. find these sources, find these photographs. Um, so what was the most challenging part about that and, um, having it all come together in the end as a final story and two sidebar stories?
1: Um, well, certainly, uh, certainly it took a lot of time to, to even find sources. Like, like I went to, uh, you know, again, Rubble's, uh, this is one of the first things I did here and, um. Tom was a very nice guy, but uh, again, punk music is not really his thing as much as was Harvey's. So he really wasn't didn't have a lot of information for me there. Again, I got a couple sources from him, but you know that was about it. Um, it just took a while to eventually find these sources. Eventually, I stumbled across a, uh, a Facebook page of um, like foolery uh, originals who like would get together and uh, um, you know have reunions. You know and go back there as well. So they had that Facebook page. I was able to get in contact with all the foolery people The issue was though. I couldn't get any information on rubbles in the 90s That was that took that was the longest part of me to get mm-hmm. I talked to so many people about the black flag shows I talked to so many people about it was like seeing fishbone uh, You know party their asses off, you know Rebels and Rubbles and started the foolery in 1985 but getting stuff on rubbles in the 90s was very t- difficult Uh, Eventually, I managed to talk to Matt Kozu from the workhorse movement, and he was able to give me something there. But uh, it probably took me two months to get anything on Rebels in the 90s because there was next to nothing on the internet about it. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Not even in CM Life. There's very little about it.
0: Okay. Um, And so, obviously, like I said before, a lot of people in Mount Pleasant don't really think there's a lot to do here. (laughs) Probably don't think there's a lot of history here. So what has finding all this information for the story uh, taught you about Maybe there is a lot more than we like to think.
1: Um, certainly. I That was actually kind of one of the things I was hoping people would take away from this. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I would have... Hell, you know, when uh, Dave first told me that Black Black played here, I was like, what? Black Black? Really? Mount <laughs> Pleasant? Okay. Um, but, you know, as you look more into it, it's like, wow, there is a solid issue here. And I guess that's kind of something I want people to take away. Don't just assume that your town is... The nothing place you know take time to look into the history you might be surprised what you find
0: yeah well thank you for being here andrew and talking to me um that's it for this edition of past deadline a podcast produced by central michigan life i'd like to thank my guest and our producer grant paul Matier. we'd like to know what you think about these topics email me at news at cm-life.com with your thoughts thank you for listening and have a good weekend